we uh, finished a series on the atonement, I think about 13 weeks, in my place condemned he stood. And then I said what we were doing is taking the night series that I had been doing, word-rooted prayer and worship, keeping your heart close to the flame. We're 15 weeks into that series, and I'm moving that to the morning because some of it relates to how we worship, how we practice worship in our church, how we worship as a church family. What does the Bible say about that? So that's what we're going to be doing Sunday morning now for about the next five weeks. After worship night, we're going to be going through the book of Malachi on Sunday nights at 530. There'll be study notes for everybody. This morning, the subtitle is Worship, Recovering Strength for the Practical Struggles of Life. And I'm asking you a huge favor. I'm asking you to, no, that's not participation. You don't have to. But I am asking you to stay mentally, mentally with me through a much longer than usual morning text, all right? It's a long text, and the reason for reading all of it is because I'm going to, like you would in a Sunday school lesson, I've got about four thoughts that just will grow out of the story, but you need the story. The text is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and I'm going to read pretty much the whole thing. I would rarely do that, but it's necessary, I think you'll see, for the kind of teaching that I want to do. 2 Chronicles 20 1 to 30, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Muonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazar Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. All the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, and they have lived in and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house, before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Ten. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they rewarded us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, their children, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Aphaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, 
for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the Kohathites, and the Korathites came up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God. You will be established. Believe his prophets. You will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, quote, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers, goods, clothing, precious things, and they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days taking spoil. It was so much. 26. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Barakah to this day. Then they returned every man to Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to the city with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, and as God gave him rest all around. And everyone said, great, yeah. Whenever the subject of worship comes up, it's fresh this morning, though we've been doing it quite a bit on Sunday night. There are certain, I think, uh, mental presets in our thinking that have to be identified and I think have to be broken down a little bit before the real power and truth of worship can take hold in our lives and in our church. I think particularly when you're talking about corporate worship, there are certain false ideas that need to be unlearned, maybe, before truth is easily embraced. We, we know, I think, how difficult the process of learning something new can be. Maybe you've had that experience. Try and teach someone to play golf. Or... It's easier to teach someone who's totally new and ignorant about the game than to try and teach someone who thinks they already know how to do it and they're doing it wrong. So here's where I'm going with this. I think many Christians, devout, 
good, sincere, godly Christians might be mistaken in their conception of the nature of outward corporate worship. They've grown up with the idea, or maybe have been taught, that outward expressions of corporate worship more appropriate for believers who, who are sort of more naturally, emotionally inclined and outgoing in the first place. You know, charismatic types. God bless them. God loves them too. And you know what they're like when you get them going. It's not usually said outright. Certainly there's usually no disdaining of people who are more fervent or expressive. But little by little, some of these outward forms of worship that we'll be talking about in coming weeks, they're, they're made unintentionally a little less mandatory part of the Christian experience. I mean, not discredited outwardly in any way, but reduced more to the icing than the cake. It's good for some more emotional groups, mystics, people who are just naturally a little more gushy. And so the thinking goes something like this. What's really important, Pastor Don, is to be rooted in the Word. Which, when you think it through, means how you worship has little to do with being obedient to the Word because the Word, of course, just tells you to be holy and to be doctrinally sound. It doesn't say that much about worship, except maybe it should be with a pure heart. And everybody pretty much agrees on that. And so today's text, today's long text, is a little bit important, I think. Maybe not as a standalone, but at least as part of this series, part of the whole picture. Because like last week's text, last Sunday night, it, it, deals, with, it deals with the practical issue, the practical value of praise and worship before the Lord. We're not used to texts that link worship with battles. More specifically, worship having something to do with winning the battles of life in the strength of the Lord. Surely that's the central point of this text. And, and the thing is, this is Bible teaching. This is rooting our ideas about worship, not in the charismatic movement, but in the scriptures. So when someone says, Pastor Don, it's just being in the Word that matters, I'll say, right, let's look at the Word. All of us recognize at least some of the sources of power and strength uncontested in the Christian walk. The power that comes from prayer. The power that comes from Bible study. The power that comes from church attendance. The power that comes from moral purity, obedience, the inward dwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's just that we're really not quite used to putting corporate worship in the same category with that stuff. And that's why I think this whole account with Jehoshaphat is so important. I got three or four thoughts. The introduction was long, but I won't keep you here all day. Point number one. The battle Jehoshaphat faces will determine the possibility of his future existence. It's in 2 Chronicles 21 and 2. 
After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. The text emphasizes the sheer size of the opposition that Jehoshaphat faces. The Moabites, the Ammonites, some of the Edomites, they've banded together against Judah to march on Judah. Any one of them would have been a sizable opponent, but this is three of them merging together against Judah. And they represent an impossible situation for Jehoshaphat. Do I need to make that relevant to you? Facing an impossible situation. This is the nature of the dilemma Judah faces. You, you might not be here tomorrow. This enemy means business. There is, there is no human solution to this problem. There's no apparent way out. Just pause for application. Some problems, right? Some problems come and they're in a class of their own. Some problems are, they're just really big problems. They leave you reeling in shock, disbelief. People in this church right now with those kinds of problems, a physical diagnosis that brings news of a serious problem in your body, something that threatens your very future. Sometimes financial disaster, the loss of a job, and it drowns out all hope for a strong future. Things, things that were once options are suddenly not options anymore. You don't know where to turn. You don't know how to turn things around. There doesn't seem to be any way out. Your marriage is falling apart. You thought that just happened to other people. Less godly people. There seems to be no common ground in the relationship. The counseling isn't doing any good. There's nothing but coldness and indifference where there used to be warmth and concern. You can't find any way of bringing back what used to be there. If something doesn't turn around in the next couple of weeks, it's all over. Those are real battles. Church, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the kinds of things, the kinds of things that march on your life, that carve up any hope that you have for the future. Talking about problems that just by their sheer size make you feel small, incapable. See, that, that's, that's this text, right? That's Jehoshaphat. That's what he's facing. And, and, and here's the point. As we're going to see very clearly in a moment, worship has to do with those things. Worship, properly understood, I get it. It plays a role in bringing the life and the power of God into situations. So, yeah, I'm free to treat worship as though it's an elective on God's list. 
study last couple Sundays in the evening. Judah was free to leave the ark, the house of Abinadab, for 20 years. They didn't have to go get it. But a whole generation grew up learning to think about life without reference to God. Point number two. The impending situation filled godly Jehoshaphat with fear. There it is, just that. Don't you love reading stuff like that in your Bible? I do. I just want to stand up in front of everybody and just say, Jehoshaphat, you are, you are my kind of guy. Terrified. There's an attitude. It still floats around. It's not as strong as it used to be. It's kind of dying out, thankfully. But there's an attitude that still floats around in the body of Christ that if you're a person of faith, you just, you just never experience fear. You just, you just kind of ride through high in every situation shouting praise the Lord and you never experience an ounce of fear, not an ounce of doubt. So just this, no matter what you may hear to the contrary, what you might read to the contrary, fear does not qualify you either as a person of faith or a person of potential victory. You don't have to put on some kind of plastic, phony, spiritual mask when disaster threatens. It's very lonely doing that. All my kids have to get braces. Praise the Lord. I'm just so thrilled. No, you don't have to do that. Faith is not make-believe. You can express honest fear. You can be a human being and be spiritual. You don't you don't let your fears take your eyes off the Lord. We are powerless against this great horde who is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Point number three. Jehoshaphat determined to seek the Lord with all his heart. When Jehoshaphat was afraid, he set his face to seek the Lord, proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Be afraid, be afraid, but seek the Lord. And, and because many of us have heard this story maybe since we were kids in Sunday school, there's a, there's a detail that maybe doesn't stand out as much as it should. See, Jehoshaphat is, he's king, he's a professional soldier, he's a military leader from the ground up. All of his natural instincts would have been to take him in a different direction other than seeking the Lord and proclaiming a fast. Get the men dressed, ready for battle, put some sandbags up against the gates, hide the women and children, collect all the gold you can, we can buy off the enemy, sound the alarm. Round up the horses and chariots. Get the archers. Get the swordsmen. That's what a military person does. The first response is a trained response. Usually in our fast-paced day, first response is an organizational response, an administrative response. But 
so frequently just a human response. And Jehoshaphat just gives this marvelous demonstration of seeking God's kingdom first. He has to. He has to push all of his natural instincts aside. He faces a crisis situation. And his response is not dictated by the situation exclusively. He knows what to do first. It's not just him making his military plans and asking God to bless his efforts. He reins in all of his reflexes and training, his natural instincts, and it just says, peace. That's quite a phrase, isn't it? He set his face. That's, not, that's it just a picture of turning away from that. <clears throat> I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord. Nothing shows how a life is oriented. Nothing shows what your life is basically all about, like what you do first when confronted by a crisis. All of that leads to the next point. Four. In addition to seeking the Lord personally, Jehoshaphat united the people to seek the Lord corporately. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. God bless him. And he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah, throughout all Judah, Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. All the cities of Judah came to seek the Lord. There's a couple of things here. First, he proclaims, he proclaims a fast. Set his face to seek the Lord. Proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I mean, that's an important step for Jehoshaphat. Fasting isn't mystical. It's not magic. The visible battle is a military battle, and that's how all of Jehoshaphat's instincts would take him. He's a soldier. And this fasting, it's important, especially in this case, because it's, it's telling Jehoshaphat, I know you think everything in a military sense is in the physical realm, but God is trying to show him that victory isn't going to be found in that realm. He needs, to, he needs to switch gears. He needs to think spiritually. And fasting is one way that God has ordained to teach his people the true nature of the problems that they face. The threat against Judah was physical. Their recourse against the enemy wasn't going to be physical. The people were going to go out singing and praising and God has to get Jehoshaphat's mind going in a different direction. In calling the people to fasting, Jehoshaphat is saying to the whole nation, let's get our attention fixed, not on our military resources, but the resources that will count most for victory here. Fasting is one tool that God uses to teach a soldier not to rely on physical strength. Discipline the pursuits in the material realm 
so we can focus attention on the spiritual realm. It's, it's this idea. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And then like the rest of us, Judah's soldiers would have a hard time remembering that the real enemy wasn't one of those three nations because they're marching on them. Their tendency would be to go out and fight a visible enemy as best they could with the physical weapons at their disposal that they were used to handling. And so do preachers do that, and teachers do that, and accountants do that, and mechanics do that, businessmen do that, homemakers do that. We all do that. Fasting is one of God's teachers to materially-minded people like we, and it strips our souls of the blindness that material concerns can bring. B, here's what else Jehoshaphat did. He called the people to united prayer. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. All the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Just notice, would you notice with me, I'm almost done. The great effort expended to bring the people all to one place. No one hops on a go train back then. No subways, no Uber. It's a lot of work to get everybody coming to one place to seek the Lord. Why not just have everybody seek the Lord wherever they are? I mean, couldn't they do that? Why not just everybody, wherever they're gathered, you seek the Lord where you are, I'll seek the Lord where I am. We'll just all seek the Lord on this issue of what to do with these nations. And God guide and bless Jehoshaphat. Let's, let's do church online. Why all this work to gather? It's way more work. Why all the trouble to come together? Jesus, Jesus stressed the same value of agreeing together. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost when they were all together in one accord, says the old King James. See, that's the definition of people, a people, collective, seeking the same thing, in the same place, in the same way, at the same time, with the same voice. Get the people together. To seek the Lord. We've, we've, uh, I don't, I, I, I don't want to say we've lost sight of it, but it's, let me just say it this way softer a bit. The church, I don't mean this church, I mean the church. It's very easy to lose sight of the sheer power of coming together to seek the Lord. When do, when, when do you do that with us? Are we raising a generation that knows a great deal about Hillsong? but not much 
about getting on our faces before God together around one need or two needs until God answers and works and intervenes? Is that happening? I'm just asking. Gets the people together from everywhere. Get them all to come together. Get them gathering together. Get them seeking the Lord together. People need to unite their faith around one situation or several situations. Prayer is like perfume. It's more precious when it's highly concentrated. I can remember when we were kids and, you know, we'd get some money from dad and we were going to get mom something for Christmas and we would go out and get her some perfume. It's a dangerous business for young boys. And you go into some department store. Back then, for us, it was probably, who knows, Kresge's or Woolworth's. A fine distributor of excellent perfumes. And you'd see, it just seemed common sense. You'd see some little bottle. Now, I'm going back a lot of years. You'd see some tiny little bottle. And, and there it is for $18. And it's only that big. And over here, you got evening in Chicago. And you can, you can, get, you can get the 1.5 liter size for three bucks. When it's concentrated more precious. We unite our faith and gather together and seek the Lord in a concentrated way for a period of time. There's something special in that that I hope, I hope we never ever lose in our church. It's why there are people you're listening to right now and you never come to church Sunday night and it actually has nothing to do with not wanting to come to church. It's just, you know, we do prayer groups Sunday night and there's just no way in the world you're going to come do that so why do we keep doing it because it's the one time in the week when the whole congregation prays together about stuff there is no other time when the whole congregation that's gathered does that next week we're going to see how the sheer power of song they go out in front and they sing about the faithfulness of God and God gives them the victory. Let's pray. Oh, how we love your word. The sermon might not be great, but your word is great and its truth is great. And even now, as we go into prayer for needs, this idea that as people unite in seeking the Lord, people who come with battles that seem as big as the one Jehoshaphat faced, where the future seems almost cut off, where hope seems extinguished. Jesus, come. Jesus, come. Come. Come right here. 
close to these people and bring victory and a sense of your touch and presence. In your name I pray and thank you.